self-love and the revolution of that is feeling all the feelings, which is truly what it means to feel alive and where the liberation exists. And by that, I mean, feelings are not facts because if they are, and you're acting from that space, you're just unconsciously going through the motions. And for who, what kind of life to be lived is that? And that's how you end up feeling like you're at square one or starting over, or you're constantly at odds with yourself, acting from a space of opposition to the place you truly want to be living life from. Self-love is the revolution of rejection of all the other things that are in out of alignment with self. It's letting go of the things that were never yours to carry, the voices that influence the actions and the, the truth that you thought was yours but never was. It's letting go of all of that. That is self-love. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Hope you guys are having an amazing day today. We had such a powerful conversation about a very, very important topic, and that is intuitive eating and mastering self-love. Our next guest is the CEO and founder of Elevate with Carrie, which is an elite transformational coaching movement created for women. She is an international motivational speaker, author, event host, and leading global authority on whole body wellness. She has spoken alongside top industry experts, neuroscientists, and doctors. Her mission is to empower millions of women to challenge the diet culture, educate on the science and psychology of intuitive eating, and master self-love from the inside out. So this is a conversation that you guys probably don't hear that often. Intuitive eating is a very interesting concept in many ways, and really understanding uh, and listening to our bodies and when we should eat and what we should eat and how we should eat and all of that. So we get into what intuitive eating is and mastering self-love, connecting all of them together, our relationship with food, how we feel about food and really tapping into our superpower. We get into all of it. So I know you guys are going to love this. Carrie is a powerhouse. And if you guys do get value from this, she would like to give away a gift to someone who listens to this and they share their the best takeaway. There's going to be a gift worth of 75 bucks. If you guys tag us in the stories, give us your best giveaway, the best or the tag us in the stories with your best takeaway and we will give you a prize worth of $75. It's an awesome episode as well. Make sure you guys are subscribed to the podcast wherever you're listening. It's also available on YouTube. If you want to watch all the funny faces that I make when I do interviews, <laughs> sit back, relax, enjoy the episode, everybody carry forward coming right up. Here we go. Carrie, welcome to the university of adversity. How are you doing? Hey man. Thank you so much. I'm doing well. You? Um, really good. Really good. Um, as always, the pre-conversation is like, so good. And sometimes I want to just hit record and just as soon as the person gets on, just to like capture all the, all the good stuff. And once we hit it, it's like, okay, let's go. But I, I never want to miss anything. 
And we, we started to talk a little bit about um, something really important that I'm excited to get into with this conversation around what you do and really like tapping into the, your intuition and having that involving food and really the importance of intuitive eating and, and kind of recognizing that. So the work you're doing is amazing and I'm really excited to get into all of that. So first off though, I love to kind of know how you even got into this stuff because this isn't something that somebody just like is born into. And it's always interesting for me as well to learn about this because as we get on this path, you know, a lot of things work, a lot of things don't. And then we kind of find ourselves where we are now. So I would love if you could kind of walk us through how you even discovered this path and how did you get into it? Walk us through that a little bit. Sure. Um, you know, this stemmed from having an eating disorder. Mm. I picked up the book intuitive eating by accident. Mm. And actually yesterday marks the first official day that I'm writing my book. And it was interesting to step back into the frame of mind that I was in when I had anorexia and, you know, I was limiting food and I was trying to brainwash myself into not eating, um, because it was a way that I felt like I was in control. It was a way I felt disciplined and it was the way I used fear, um, as my basis of motivation, which oftentimes is has a really strong correlation to like diet mentality. You know, we try to hate ourselves into being skinny and uh, fight our way through and, and it's glorified and romanticized. Um, so in the midst of this eating disorder, I remember uh, I had just moved to New York City after college graduation and I was still battling this 20 pound weight gain, weight loss cycle. I couldn't find my, I couldn't find my balance in my center because balance is kind of a bullshit word, but I couldn't find my center. And I was in Barnes and Noble and I, I wandered over to a bookshelf and started opening this book and it had things about disordered eating in it. And I thought this is perfect because it'll fuel my fear-based motivation to keep me motivated, right? Because my worst fear was like, oh my gosh, if I'm not motivated and I'm not scared to pursue this weight loss, and it was really never about the weight loss anyway, then I will get fat. I'll be lazy. I, you know, all of these things that I kind of made it about. And so I didn't get, I didn't understand that book when I first picked it up um, because it talks about, well, give yourself permission to eat. And I'm like, Whoa, what? Like give myself permission to have whatever I want. Like first thought is who am I without the rules? And the second thought is like, what if I only want pizza? <laughs> right. Because what I was really asking myself was like, do you trust yourself? And so that was the birth of my why, mm. because I think it's so interesting that we, you know, and now it's been years and like over a decade later through my own healing and working with clients. But the idea that we could actually listen to our body to guide us seems insane. Instead, we hand our power over to another diet plan, a workout program, uh, another coach. And we say, you must know me better than I know me. And I do the opposite. I guide them home back to themselves. I would love to kind of dive in more into the eating disorder. Like how did that start? I mean, because that is such, it's such an issue and so many people go through that. And usually yeah. it's, there's, there's a lot of underlying reasons why, but I would love to hear if you could kind of go open that up a little bit for us. 
Yeah, I would love to. So I never, I never had an issue with weight. And by that, I never had an awareness around what I was eating, good, bad, healthy, not healthy. Uh, I need to exercise. Never had those things kind of floating around in my mind. It just was my lifestyle was just, I'm a gymnast. I'm a dancer. It just was something ingrained in who I was and the expression of my soul. Right. And so I, I never really had an issue there. Fast forward to college, I had a massive lifestyle change, which was staying up late. I was an art major, actually. I graduated from a, a marketing program that was pretty intense. I stayed up late. I was drinking. I was like, woo, like I'm free. Let's party, all these things. And the combination of late nights and what I call beer and birth control, my body was just like, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> and so it like hormones, you've got all this stuff and like food I maybe wasn't eating at three in the morning, like a four cheese calzone or whatever. And I didn't know what to do with the weight I had gained. And I was freaking out. I was like, this is not okay. This is not okay. And I felt unattractive. I went from like a size double zero, which was just like my normal balance, five foot little cheerleading body to, I think I was a size eight at my largest. It's a pretty big fluctuation, about a 30 pound difference. Um, and I just, I fell out of control. And so what did I do? I sought control. And as a one on the Enneagram and as a, a recovering classic perfectionist, um, I was like, okay, that's it. Game over. We're going all in. Simultaneously, my dad was going through an angioplasty at a fairly young age. Um, and an angioplasty, I'm sure as you know, but for any you know listeners, just it's when they um, they move a blockage through an artery using a stent, which is like a spring mechanism that uh -huh. opens it up to flush the artery. And he had an 80% blockage in his, his less left descending artery uh, that was undetected uh, until he did a stress test. So that scared me. I was like, I don't want to be that age and figuring it out. And so it was a combination of kind of masking it in some health-based things and also vanity goals. Uh, but that was, that was the beginning of the end <laughs> because then I was like, that's it. Two a days. I bought, you know, all these books and I just dove right in and embraced the obsessiveness of it. How did people treat you when you gained that weight? Like, did you feel a difference in how people looked at you? That's because the reason question. I ask you that yeah. is because I remember when I was an athlete, when I was playing hockey and this happens to a lot of people when they, when you're, when you're in a sport or when you're doing something where you're active all the time and then you stop and you're around 20 years old or around that age, mm -hmm. you can, you tend to put on weight and sometimes the next few years, like you start to meet new people and they start to look at you different and treat you different. I noticed that for myself and I've seen that with other people too. So I was just curious as to like how that was for you. And if that, if, if anybody treated you different or if there was some sort of like, I don't know, some sort of feeling like that around people. Yeah. I mean, I think there's two things there. The first one that comes to mind is I'm from a really small town in New Jersey. Like I'm talking, when we got a movie theater in eighth grade, it was like, whoa, we are, there's something to do here. And so during college, I remember being so scared to go home during winter break to be seen, right? Cause it was like, oh, she really like let herself go. So that was the story that I was making up in my head. Um, 
I can't say that I can remember accurately anyone actually saying to my face, like, whoa, what happened to Carrie? But that was the fear and it was paralyzing. I wanted to hide behind clothing. I wanted to hide from pictures. I didn't want to be seen out. Uh, in fact, it was just like, I would try to avoid certain things. Um, and I'm sure there was some element of that because it was a pretty drastic change. Um, but that was the story I was making up. And then that I didn't let it, I didn't let it go that far. Right. So I immediately was like, I'm, I've got to get control here. And, um, the minute I started to lose weight and to, you know, lean out again, then it, then I was just praised, right. It was a lot of praise. Wow. You look great. And so that was really like, you know, at the time, a, a big factor in keeping, keeping it going, keeping the eating disorder alive. In fact, I was recruited for the college cheerleading team in the depths of my eating disorder. So it was like, everyone's like, wow, I really commend your discipline. And, and that's sort of the problem. Um, because it's again, like I said, glorified and romanticized. Oh, if I had your discipline, if I could get up early and go, and it was like, I felt like I had to, I was in my own prison that I had created around myself. Eating disorders are so interesting how they happen. And it's, they're so this society encourages that behavior. It's, it's wild. Yeah. You know, and that can create so much trauma in itself because you're being validated to do things that aren't good for you. Like, because you look to look a certain way. Yeah. And it's very confusing because you, it's not really about the eating disorder. It's not about the weight. I say it's never about the cake. I mean, it's not about that. It's about, um, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons it can, you know, stem from different things, but it was about, I feel in control because I really, really feel out of control. Um, and it's that I don't feel like I actually belong or can be accepted for who I am or valuing the, I am my body versus I just get to be in my body. I didn't know the difference between any of that. Um, and in fact, it showed up in, you know, relationship or dynamics with men, uh, the objectification of body, right? The value I placed on it. And a question I ask clients, um, and we had we had a guest speaker on in one of my groups called Rise and Thrive through my group program. And she said, if you were to place a price, a dollar amount on your body, how much would it be? And we, we both said like, it's got, you can't say priceless. Cause everyone's like, Oh, it's priceless. No, yeah. it has to be a tangible amount of money that you could actually feel like you could hold experience experience, you know, just be with. Yeah. And, um, it was interesting because people answered it in two different ways. One was if the body was for sale and I don't mean like, you know, yeah, no, we got you, but like gotcha. the yeah. value of your body objectification, um, or staying alive right. To invest in, like, let's say you needed a a heart surgery. Um, and it's like, Oh, I'd pay anything to just stay, keep my body going. So it was interesting. And I, I fell into the first camp, which was if I were to sell my body to others, I would value, you know, that in that way. And I'm like, that's so interesting Hmm. because not everyone answered it that way. That's such an interesting question. Yeah. What would your answer be? Did anything come to mind? (sighs) I don't know. <laughs> it's don't really know. perplexing. Yeah. I mean, and 
it's really interesting how we treat our bodies too, as to like, we feel that when we, re- we, we drink, we do these things to reward ourselves, even though it makes our bodies feel like shit. And yet to eat healthy or to think, to, to have things that we know make us feel good, it's considered like this thing of like, oh, you're depriving yourself because you're eating healthy. It's a weird way of looking at it, right? Like here, reward yourself with a bunch of sugar and alcohol. It's like, here you go. And it's like, I've always thought that to be strange. That is strange. And a lot of that is just social conditioning, you know, as far as what is acceptable, what everybody else is doing and how it's been framed in our mind. Yeah. I mean, it's the whole relationship with food and like, as well, like putting, feeling guilt about food is, is so silly. Also, I feel like it's, it's like, if you're going to enjoy, if you're going to, my, my thing is if you're going to have a day where you just have pizza or whatever, just enjoy that, just enjoy it fully. And then don't worry about it. You know, like, it's like, don't let yourself just continually guilt, feel guilt and shame over it. It's like, eat the pizza and then just enjoy it to its fullest and then let it go. Right. Sure. And in fact, when you give yourself permission fully and you let go of the guilt and shame that may possibly come along with it, actually, the less you want the pizza, the more you say you can't have it or aren't allowed to have it, totally. the more you actually want it. So the diet creates the emotional currency, what I call around food, right? That, that negative charge around it. The thing you say you can't have is the reason you want it. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. So what is intuitive eating for the people that don't know? Because this is like, this is such an interesting topic because in society today, eat this way, you know, either you're a vegan or you're a meat eater or you're whatever. And there's all these boxes, right? And a lot of people ignore things. So walk us through what intuitive eating means to you. Yeah. Intuitive eating is eating according to your body's cues, really the inner knowing that your body knows the path. And that's as simple and as complex as it sounds, because we've been used to ignoring our intuition in all areas of our life. We've looked outside of ourselves for love, for external validation, for, you know, the next move, the next, like we we've learned not to trust ourselves. We pop right out of our body and our intuition only to arrive usually back at the first, you know, moment in time. We're like, you know what? I knew better. I knew, I knew that I knew that guy wasn't good. Or I knew that, uh, I knew the answer and our body does know the way, but are you listening? And so learning how to listen is the work because it shows up in health, wealth, and relationships. And so that's really a huge pillar of what I work with clients on is first allowing ourselves to listen and then trusting from that place to take action. Okay. Let's break this down even further. Yeah. So intuitive eating, but how would you distinguish intuition versus coming from a place of ego or whatever, like the two, you know, how, how does somebody know whether it's coming from, you know, your intuition's your soul versus the other thing? Like, what is the difference? 
Yeah. And that's a really, it's a tough thing to answer, but I can still give an example on how you can start to listen there regarding food and body. Um, the reason it's challenging is because if you haven't listened before, how do you know which voice you're listening to the voice of others or an egoic experience, you know, stories that we're making up or your actual self and soul. How do you know if you have never actually listened? Because then the other thing is like, okay, well, I might hear that, but I don't trust it enough to act. Oh, I must not know. I need to go do this diet plan. Let me follow their rules instead of listening to myself. So I'll just preface it with that. But something that I have clients do in regards to taking action and, you know, with food. So let's say that you're reaching for ice cream. It's not about whether or not you, you know, are having the ice cream. You're not a bad person. If you want ice cream, ice cream tastes great. But in that moment, do you want the ice cream? There's going to be two paths that clients fall down. It's going to be, yes, I know I do, or no, I don't. And they know with certainty either way. Awesome. The other client is like, feels out of control, almost like their hands are detached from their body and they're just scooping ice cream. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to interrupt this pattern and ask myself, do I want this ice cream? And they're confused and that's okay. Whatever client you are. So the first client, again, if they know they want the ice cream, they can go ahead and have it guilt-free full permission. Yes, I do. I trust myself. Therefore I will have the ice cream. Great. Or, Hmm, I don't want the ice cream. Cool. Put it away. Maybe tomorrow you do. Maybe an hour later you do. Either way, you're right. I call that cookie confidence. Knowing if you want the cookie, either way. Okay. So that client may have a little bit more of a uh, just in touch, intuitive touch, and, and you know, a, a trust, a self trust, their intimacy of self. The other client now. Let's talk about them. What happens if you're swirling in this like, you know, the food's taking over. It's the thing you're obsessing about. You don't even know why you're eating it. Do I want it? They feel completely out of control and confused. There's a level of chaos there where the food takes hold of them. So what I would say to that person is it's okay that you don't know, but you get to learn to listen here. So first we're going to break down the current, the emotional currency of the food. And the way we're going to do that is by just reassuring yourself that you are safe, that you have full permission and that the ice cream will always be there right? Because if we think that we've got to eat the ice cream while it's there, we're going to probably overeat it. If we think we're not allowed to have it, we're going to guilt and shame ourselves, which often results in deprivation thereafter. That's it. I'm never eating ice cream again. No more sugar forever. Yeah. Right. So we go like the pole. So we're just flip-flopping, but we're not really finding this neutral ground. And then they just don't trust themselves. That's why safety right? It's the thing they need to put in the trash just to get it out of their house or they avoid social events. So that person, I would say just full permission. And that's where they get a little bit tripped up because they're still like, what do you mean? I'm allowed to have this, but all you're doing there again is creating safety to start to listen because if you don't have safety with yourself, you're never going to give that whisper, that voice a louder platform, a bigger microphone to speak from, because what, what starts as a whisper and a little nudge you realize has been your voice all along. Mm -hmm. And so if you can just nurture from that little place and let it grow louder and let it grow bolder, you start to close the gap and you start to listen quicker because you're like, Oh, I do know the answer. I do trust myself. And so that is where you start to undo that emotional currency. It's kind of a, a deep, long answer, but it's, 
as you can tell, a practice of learning how to do the work there. It's great. How did you develop that? You know, it's a combination of the intuitive eating principles, which is based on the intuitive eating book where you, um, you know, you have a pattern interrupt and you just consciously pause uh, and also work I've done with myself and clients over the past decade plus. You know, I noticed there was a lot of, okay, they're all falling back into old patterns and behaviors. So how can we create automated healthy behaviors and how can we undo and bring awareness to the ones that we already have in place? Right. So that's oftentimes the wall they come up against and they label it as self-sabotage, but it's not actually that. (laughs) I mean, it is, that's how it externally manifests, but um, it's really a place that maybe you don't feel safe to hear yourself. Uh, All of this is really just a reflection of your relationship with self. And then from there, you can start to identify a whole slew of amazingness because, okay, if someone were to tell you in this moment, put the ice cream down, you've had enough. Whose voice are you hearing? Who, who has edified you in the past? Who has, Mm. who has edited your experience and told you, no, no, I know you better than you know you that's enough ice cream. Mm. So what, what do we do? We try to replicate that Mm. by doing it to ourselves. Mm. And it's like, yeah, but that doesn't make sense. Carrie, why would I do that to myself? That's an opposition to what I truly want to create, which is food, freedom, confidence, losing weight. Okay, but your subconscious is not ready for that. So we get to go deeper there and explore why. What about the area of the connection to the food? Like if somebody decides they want to have meat, you know, because, you know, some people's, you know, genetic makeup, whatever their beliefs, whether they eat it or not. What are your thoughts on that? You know, because we're told that, I shouldn't do something because of this, but your body is speaking a different language. What are your thoughts on the relationship with food and people honoring that? You just always listen to your body. It knows what it needs when it needs it. Um, Again, it goes back to like, yeah, but I don't trust it. (laughs) Like, you know, maybe I'm really craving a banana. Okay. I could be low in magnesium, potassium. Right. Mm -hmm. So Um, it just goes back to, okay, am I acting from the space of a belief system or am I acting from a space of listening to my body? Cause this is the compass always. Is there some things that somebody who hasn't really, you know, gotten into this kind of discussion before that they can start practicing, You know, like I always like to give people little tools to kind of walk away with as far as just steps to, Mm -hmm. to, that they can apply. Is there anything that somebody can just do today around this topic? Yeah, I think it starts with first bringing awareness to patterns you have in place. Mm -hmm. So that looks like, okay, I've noticed that I'm drinking wine after dinner every night. Mm -hmm. So just hit pause and say, do I want the wine because it's what I'm doing every night? Or do I want the wine because I want it? You might be surprised. Mm. I had a client go from like two bottles a night to like one and a half bottles a week. Again, I never told her give up wine. It wasn't about that. It was just about what do you want in this moment with that glass and the next one, if any. So one, bring awareness to your current patterns, right? Pause, consciously ask. 
Um, and then the other thing is to, again, practice listening to yourself. Um, and I know that the, I know that that's challenging. I mean, I even had, this was crazy. I had a, um, a doctor, I was at a doctor appointment and she goes, how do you get your stomach so flat? And I just thought first, what a strange question. <laughs> but second, secondly, I was like, I, there's nothing I quote unquote do. There's no magic potion and pill and all the things at, at a you know, previous point in time, I would have thought so. And I said, you know, I, to be honest with you, I eat what I want and I exercise in a way that feels good. Right. I intuitively move as well. And she looked at me and she goes, is there something you're not telling me? Like she didn't trust it. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. You know, like that it's insane to people to be like, you actually trust your body and it knows what you want and it can find its own baseline. Yeah. And I just thought, that's what's wrong with the system. And I'm not making doctors out to be the bad guys because they do a lot of good in this world. But I think that we are all um, unconscious until we choose not to be. Question mm-hmm. everything. Whose rules are these? Are these yours? Even when you're a parent. I, I have a lot of moms and uh, I call this being, you know, kid conscious. Are you enforcing rules around the house that you want to create in the culture of your home? Or are you enforcing rules that you grew up with and inherited and are therefore passing on? Cause I gotta tell you, I've found myself as a parent, words coming out of my mouth. I'm like, that is not me. That is a tape recording of something else that I experienced. And I don't even know that I want that in my house. Mm. Question everything. So it goes beyond the patterns. What rules and programs and systems do you have in place? Fine, if you wanna pass that on but choose either way you're choosing. So you might as well make a conscious choice there. Yeah. There's, there's so many of those rules that we have in our society that are just bullshit. <laughs> like, I'm like yeah. it's so true. Like who, who, who are we listening to? Like, who's the, who's defining what success is who's deciding who's defining what healthy is who's defining all these things it's like we buy into the system and we create these boxes because our human brain just wants to like categorize everything absolutely (laughs) and that is the place of your inner knowing Mm -hmm. where you let go of the rules and the systems because without that who are you you're not the rules and the way that you follow them you're not the systems and the things that you're passing on unconsciously. You are that other thing that's observing those things. And that's the place that you get to act from, from eating and from exercise and from being in your body versus being the body. There's something that I speak about a lot on the show around self-love and me personally, I had this deep realization of what that really means on my Waska journey. So it's, mm. I got to see what that really means to me. So this is so important. And it's, it's, it's such a, <laughs> it's such a deep concept, but so important. And I love that you talk about this in your work, tying it all in to intuitive eating, intuitive knowing for you, what does self-love mean? And how can you take action with that in your life? Self-love is the revolution right now. 
And the revolution is rejecting the rules and the systems because it's not fucking bubble baths and tea and face masks and all the things that I used to think that it was too. That's not self-love. And to your point, rewarding ourselves with alcohol and the things that, you know, have us avoid self-love and the revolution of that is feeling all the feelings, which is truly what it means to feel alive and where the liberation exists. And by that, I mean, feelings are not facts because if they are, and you're acting from that space, you're just unconsciously going through the motions. And for who, what kind of life to be lived is that? And that's how you end up feeling like you're at square one or starting over, or you're constantly at odds with yourself, acting from a space of opposition to the place you truly want to be living life from. So self-love is the revolution of rejection of all the other things that are in out of alignment with self. And it's learning how to sit with those feelings. That's self-love. It's letting go of the things that were never yours to carry. The voices that influence the actions and the, the truth that you thought was yours, but never was. It's letting go of all of that. That is self-love. It's powerful. And I always love it too. It's like accepting all parts of your story as, as part of it, you know, yeah. like we, that's what my realization was when I was sitting one night and I was just like, wow, I was really caught up in the spiritual bypassing of the things that I needed to really process and to really understand that those stories of the past although they don't need to be in the driver's seat, they need to be acknowledged and they need to be felt and they need to be processed. And once they are, you can let them go. They don't need to be, they don't need to take over. You're not trying to avoid them. You're not trying to cover them up. This is a big thing with eating and toxic behavior. It's like, it's these triggers from stories of the past that create these moments that make you want to have these impulse things like drinking or eating or sugar. Well, and, and that's the place that people yeah. often take action from. Yeah. 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 That's so it, good. It's, it's so important to acknowledge that. And that's really the self-love that we, we have to have, you know, like we, we have to have that. And I just think it's so important, especially now in the world, um, is that people people are starting to wake up a little bit more than they were a few years ago. But just to, that acknowledgement that it's important to to look at these things, but to to be able to know that they're here, but they're not controlling me. They're just they're just part of it. It's okay. It's all part of the story. It's all, it's okay. But it's like, we put meaning to it and we get upset and we get, we get attached to it. And it's just like, it creates this chaos. So yeah, I mean, we, we talk about this stuff, the self-love. I mean, it's so important to me. Like that is the thing. Mm -hmm. It's so important, especially now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And it's, and when you ask ourselves. Who is in the driver's seat right now? Is it fear or is it love? Mm. Right? Because otherwise that experience is just going to be 
the same story, the same lesson that's coming there. Um, but I love what you said about the experiences that we've had, instead of making ourselves wrong for it or taking it personally, it gets to serve a bigger mission. And there's a teacher always at play. So I think, and, and oftentimes I'll, you know, things will happen in clusters or themes to me in my external. And I'm like, okay, I got to, what is this showing me? And it's sort of like a game. If you were to envision a video game where you're in the matrix uh, and everyone is just a messenger, I'm not going to take it personally. I'm not going to point my finger. I'm going to take that finger and point it right back at myself. What am I showing as I ping out into the universe? What is being reflected back to me? If everyone is your mirror and they're showing you a message, where within you is out of alignment and not because you're not pure or because you're broken, but simply because you're being pointed to your best and highest self into the life you called in that you actually want, but it requires you to let go of all the other shit that you think is you. Oh, I love talking about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I, I love what you said about love and fear because that's all there is. And I remember I read a book uh, called Awareness by Anthony DeMello. And he talked about that. And that just made so much sense. It's like, that's all you're doing. You're either operating out of love or fear. And yeah. every single decision you make in your life, you know, comes down to that. Even when it comes down to a post on social media, what mm -hmm. am I doing? Am I trying to get a reaction yes. or am I trying to empower people? Am I trying to inspire people? Like, and I've really noticed that the last year with this craziness that's gone on in the world. It's like, I have found myself doing things out of fear without even really thinking about it. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where is this coming from? Like what? And that's the problem on social media sometimes is because there's these triggers and it's like, oh shit. All right. Well, I'm all fired up now. I'm going to do this. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Where is this coming from? Mm -hmm. It's wild. It's wild how that happens. We don't even know it sometimes. Yeah. It's so true. When you break it down to love or fear, it's like, okay, what, what choice am I going to make? What door am I going to go through? Yeah. I think it's uh is it Mastin Kip that talks about the God algorithm where I, don't know. I feel like I saw this clip and I can't remember if it was Mastin Kip or not, but there was a clip and I thought this was so interesting and it's stuck with me ever since, but the idea that we perceived closed doors and endings as something we take personally that we've done wrong as rejection, abandonment, when in fact the doors closing are pointing you toward the door you are meant to walk down. Mm. And I bring that up because I'm, I'm, I'm asked very often, how do you know, like when to make that choice? How did you know your marriage was over? How did you, how did you know all of these things? I said, well, I knew enough that the door was closing but I also knew that this was the path I couldn't not walk. I didn't know where it was going to end up, but that is surrender. That's not my job to worry about where I'm going to end up. My job is to say, got it. I see the next step and I'm going to put my one foot in front of the other and to say, I'm not free falling out of the plane, right? I'm stepping onto the tarmac that's always been right there. So, and I'm, you know, God is my boo. God is always there with me and he's guiding and I don't need to understand it or logic it. In fact, most things that have happened in my life in the last three years uh, don't make any sense. And yet I've experienced miracle after miracle and abundance and 
um, things that couldn't have happened unless I had surrendered and chosen to let go of what I thought I knew or what I thought I needed to figure out or what I thought was me. So what is it that for the viewers that you get to let go of that's been holding you back and pointing you towards the door that's been open that's only ever been yours? Yeah. yeah. It's not anybody else's. We, we take it personal and yet, oh, wait a minute, but this is actually everything I want. It's just happening in a way I didn't think it would happen. Hmm. That trust and surrender is so important. We want to control the how. It's like, mm-hmm. I want to know exactly why this is like, I want to know it all. And then if we did, if it worked like that, we'd be disappointed because it would be like, it would be boring. Imagine we knew exactly how everything was going to get done. We set a goal, set an intention. It got, it happened exactly the same. Every single move went as planned. We'd be like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> like we would get tired of it as humans. Like that's, it's great that we have, it's like the test. It's like, you know, the faith, you put your faith in the journey. You know, you put your faith in God or spirit or whatever you believe in. And that is a beautiful thing because that, that is like the most powerful thing because you aren't willing to trust yourself and have faith. Then you don't really deserve the thing that you want. You know, but like you, you don't feel safe to have it. Yeah. So you push it away. Yeah. Yeah. You don't feel safe. And so that mm. is where people get confused right? Because you're not going, you will keep the weight on subconsciously because you don't feel safe to have the body you actually want. Mm. And that's what we explore. It's the same way that maybe the relationship you want hasn't manifested. You don't feel safe to have it because if it were here, you wouldn't trust it. What have you noticed this year, the last year, you know, maybe some personal challenges or maybe with clients around all of this. And, you know, was there any specific things that you needed to do to pivot? What were those? Cause I always like to kind of talk about the last year with people. I feel, obviously it's a relevant thing, especially with adversity. And cause a lot of people's things that they were doing before COVID they've, they've pivoted into like a more empowering way, or they've had to make changes. And I always like to find out you know, what did that look like for you? Yeah. Um, well, two things. So one is whether a client of mine is a seven figure earner or just starting their business. Now we're all going through the same stuff. Everyone has mm-hmm. the same kind of fears that they're working through. And um, every level requires you to let go of another identity in order to step into the next iteration of self. So that's one. Um The other is, I don't necessarily know that it's pivoting. I think it's just following the next step, whatever that looks like in that moment. And so because I choose to live from such presence and surrender, I don't really know what the next step looks like. I just follow my guidance in real time, uh, which goes against most business advice. Um, You know, you got to plan out Q3 and four and have five-year plan and all this shit. And it's like, Mm, I've done that. And it felt very forceful. And I, you know, prided myself on being able to outwork anybody. And I could be, you know, the last one at the desk and I can show up even when it feels bad and there's no plan B. And uh, 
it just, it just felt very hard all the time. And that was the story I told myself. So it's still a different kind of hard because there's still fear there and letting go as you live surrendered. But I don't really know that there's necessarily a thing, a thing such as pivoting because I'm not, I'm, I'm just here along the ride. And whatever that looks like in this moment, it might be tomorrow. It might be like, God's like, you know what you need to be, I use this example of my clients. You, you need to go like to Cirque du Soleil and like perform as a, I'd be like, what? Okay. Well, here we go. It doesn't make sense to me, but I'm getting all the signs. I'm getting confirmation. And so uh, here we go. Right. So it's not necessarily a pivot. It's just a redirection. You know what I love about having these conversations is like, I just learned so many different perspectives and ways to hear different things. And that's such an interesting way to think about it. And, you know, and each person has their own way of doing it. And it's just so beautiful because, you know, the people that I speak to are all successful in their own way and they all have their way of like navigating through it, mm-hmm. you know, and it's inspiring because, you know, we all can kind of develop our own way, you know, cause if you try and mimic somebody else, then you're not honoring your truth or your intuition. It's like someone else's story, because if you're not operating out of your intuition, it's operating out of somebody else's story. It's really what it comes down to. Well, you're trying to pop into their path. Yeah. You can't. You you can't be on their path. That's their path. Mm. Get on your path. Yeah. <laughs> Follow that. And we're scared out of our mind because it's like, well, I've never seen it done this way. Or, but it worked for them. It should work for me. Mm. No, not necessarily. You're mm. ignoring your divinely guided path. Pay attention. Listen. Trust it from that space that's aligned action that's Mm. self-love that's also i find the whisper is louder at times too it's like Mm -hmm. i i describe it as you know you'll get a lot of these seven out of ten feelings or six five out of tens but when you get this ten out of ten that's like and i've had a couple of those in my life i've talked about i'm like i just know i have to do it I don't give a shit how it's going to happen. It's a 10. I have to, and I get to, and it's just like that, that itself, that learning about ourselves and figuring out the whisper and how loud it is, is so powerful. Mm -hmm. Do you have that too? Have you developed like some of them are really loud and some of them are like, I mean, I could kind of, I can, I can jump on that, but this one I have to. Yes. I would say, over the last year and a half, it has been less inconsistent and more consistent, mm. meaning the level of the volume that I hear it at is pretty steady. Mm. I'm just like, okay, moving on. And so for that reason, externally, it looks a bit crazy because things kind of blow in as quickly as they blow out because I'm willing to let them go. That looks like relationships. It looks like partnerships. It looks like projects. I'm all in. And then I'm like, Oh, I'm being told no. So I just let go. I'm done. And, uh, it's very detached in a way. There's still some processing around like, did I do something wrong? Like, am I being rejected here? Right. The experience of being human, but I just let go much quicker. I don't really spend a ton of time questioning. It's that's not, I'm just, yes, I'm in. Awesome. What's your morning routine look like? Super slow super, I sleep in till seven thirty, eight o'clock. I 
have coffee for a few hours. I'll reheat the same cup or pour more for like three hours. I will sometimes get back in bed with a podcast or a book. Um, I'll talk to God. I will read something uh, or scroll on social media or I'll write. I love writing in the morning. Um, It's really full permission to do whatever I want to do with those few hours. I actually don't take calls usually before 10. Um, for a long time, I was in the grind, rise and grind 5.00 AM going to be at the gym. And I'm just like, "Hmm, no, right now it's slow mornings. Maybe it won't be next week, but that's okay. Whatever that looks like. So there really is no quote unquote routine. It's just, I meet myself where I am in that moment, whatever that looks like. What's your, so what's the structure of your book? Like what is going to be around all the things you're doing? Yeah. So the, the book is called, it's never about the cake. And <laughs> I love that. Right, right? It's so good. Yeah. It's never <laughs> about the cake. Yeah. And it's a guide, um, into journeying into self-love and it's through my personal, uh, awakening and my journey in, in breakthrough Um, and it's also going to be, uh, paired with implementation and ways that you can go deeper with yourself as it relates to food, body, and your ways of being. So it's, it's, uh, the structures, uh, through micro chapters and stories. And then at the end of each chapter, there's, you know, prompts that allow you to go deeper. So I want to do the work with you. I want to share how you can create your own food map, which is a process I've developed over the years, how you can learn body speak, which is a modality of somatic healing that I use with clients again, to not only get familiar with your patterns, but also your energy in the body, the emotional body. Um, so true intimacy of self through personal transformation. Mm, love it. And yeah. if, if everybody is interested in what you're doing and they want to check you out, where can we find you? Yeah. So elevate with mm-hmm. and also elevate with Carrie K E R I on Instagram. But currently we have a program that's just, it's a constantly enrolling and growing community of women called the collective. And I teach wellness from the inside out with my wellness team, a registered dietitian that provides wellness guide just for you. Um, and we have, you know, intuitive movement. We've got guest speakers. We have weekly group calls that are live coaching with me where we talk about literally, it's funny. We had a call this week where it was like, what is success? Uh, and we talked about what being successful is because oftentimes again, with diet and body, we have this measure of success, meaning a pant size or a weight goal. But I'm going to tell you when you arrive there, you're still going to not feel fulfilled. So we get curious on where and why that comes from stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the collective is a program that, uh, serves some really high performing women. I love what you're doing. This is great. And it's so important. You're really getting to the root of the issue. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's everlasting change. And that's really what we want right in life. It's like, if you're going to, you can go on all the diets, but if you don't get to the root of like, of what that is, you know? Yeah. Well, you're not actually able to liberate yourself truly. And that's why diets don't work. It's why outside of the 12 week container of working with a personal trainer, that's just meeting you at the gym for accountability, you go back to old patterns and feel like you have to constantly have the next package, the next thing. Um, because you're, you're not actually liberating yourself or rewiring anything. You're just, 
using an external prescriptive technique to try to change things from the inside. You can't do it outside in, you have to do it inside out. Love it. One last question to end it off that I ask everybody. What is the most valuable lesson that adversity has taught you? Hmm. What a gift. It's such a gift. The, the hardships, the challenges um, that I've faced have been nothing but a gift. I don't regret anything. My divorce, my eating disorder, it's all on purpose for my purpose so I can live on purpose to serve people and women to show them the way. And I really, truly feel like it's, it's been such a gift to experience those things. It just shows me better ways that I rise up and bring others with me. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you, Carrie. This was so yeah. fun. I appreciate Thank you and the work you're doing. Thanks so much. Thanks everybody. Thanks everybody. If you guys got value from that, like I said it before, we're giving away a $75 value prize for the best takeaway. Tag us in your stories. See what you got. Also, if you haven't followed Carrie, go to her Instagram follower. She's got an amazing account. She's got lots of great value and go check out her offers. All her information is in the show notes. If you guys haven't subscribed to University of Adversity, make sure you do so. Go to the podcast, hit the subscribe button if you guys feel called to do so. Reviews are always appreciated, five-star reviews. And you guys, some big news as well. University of Adversity Summit is coming up May 21st. We have some amazing guests. It's going to be such an amazing transformational weekend. Yes, I say amazing a lot, but it is amazing and it's going to be very powerful. If you guys want to get together, listen to some real powerhouses who have used adversity in their life to change their life and to grow and transform in many ways, this one's going to be for you. It's going to be three days, six to seven speakers a day, rapid fire, 30 minute interviews by myself. Then at the end, we're going to have panels of you know three, four speakers for 45 minutes to an hour to end off the day. It's going to be absolute fire. All the information for that is going to be in the show notes, or if you want, go to my Instagram. If you haven't followed me already, what are you doing? Go follow me right now. <laughs> the link is in the bio, all the information, and you can have a sneak peek at the new website we got brewing too which is awesome. So thanks guys. I really appreciate you and we'll catch you next time.